Welcome to In the Gutter, a podcast that is all comics, all bangers, all the time, with story expert Lonnie Diane Rich and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. One of the hosts has read almost no superhero comics, and the other has read almost all of them. We'll let you sort out which is which. And now, In the Gutter. Okay, so at work this week we found ourselves one morning listening to a great deal of taylor swift and i (laughs) think she's super talented i don't have like big taylor swift feelings i'm sort of a Mm -hmm. filthy casual like i've listened Mm -hmm. to some tay tay but i'm not like all about that life (laughs) but my co-workers were trying to get me there right so it was like over the the whole thing and what Mm -hmm. what i stumbled on that i want to discuss with you today (laughs) is that there is one Taylor Swift song that I listen to a lot because they played mm-hmm. it a lot in my workout classes. And it's ah. Ready For It. Yeah. Right? That I don't know if you know that one. But um, I like it. It's good. Mm-hmm. It's uh, also apparently exactly the kind of thing that filthy casual Taylor Swift fans <laughs> like. Because the actual <laughs> fans are like, well, I guess. But yeah. the thing that was fascinating <laughs> here is I had forgotten that I stole a lyric from that on purpose and turned it into villain dialogue in something that I wrote. Now, the funny thing is, I can't remember what it was. Like, yeah, it's uh-huh. out in the world somewhere, but uh-huh. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. And I do this, not all the time, but fairly regularly. Like, mm-hmm. it's not an accident. It's not, oh, it's in my head and it comes out of a villain's mouth. I'm like, that yeah. line goes fucking hard and I'm going to put it in somebody's <laughs> mouth. Like, there's two or three Pipette's lyrics in my Teen Agents yeah. novel, right? Mm-hmm, so, are, mm-hmm. it, so first of all, before before I go any deeper into my feelings on that life choice, is this a thing that you, as a writer of many things, do or have ever done or thought about doing? I have done it accidentally. I've done it where I've I've been, you know, thumbing through, like, a published book, and then I'm like, oh, that's a reference to this. You know, like, there are certain lines oh, that I, yeah. I, you know, that were just deep in my head, and so I thought they were mine yeah. when I wrote them. Um, but also, it's like, if it's if it's a line, like, the, one of them was, um, I'm sorry to be the sugar in your gas tank, right? Which comes straight oh, yeah. from an episode of Moonlighting from the 80s. So, like, I had heard that, you know, when I was a kid watching Moonlighting. And then um, and then I put it in a book. And then I was, you know, re-watching Moonlighting many years later, like when the DVDs came out. And I was so excited. I got all the DVDs, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I heard him say it, Bruce Willis say it. I was like, oh, shit, I put that in my book. And I felt a little guilty about it. But then I was like, well, something that's small like a line is something that like it'll just be in your head and sometimes you don't know whether it's you or whether it's not you so that kind of thing I think is okay well and I personally mm-hmm. now I think it's fine even when I steal it on purpose but when yeah. I did it before <laughs> I would feel a little bad about it yeah mm-hmm. be, I mean I'm doing it as an easter egg right like I'm not I want people to be like, hey, that's, that's you know, Pipette's lyric right. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not stealing it, but I felt a little bad about it because it's somebody else's. And then, and this is the beautiful comic book connection. And then I remembered <laughs> that one of the most famous and seminal X-Men stories, mm-hmm. which was turned into a movie, <laughs> basically rips off the title of a Moody Blues album. Yeah. Uh, that kind of happens. I think I was in yeah. my 30s. No, he did it on Claremont. Did it on purpose. He knew exactly what he was doing. Sure, but it was, I was yeah. in my 30s before mm-hmm. I realized it, and all of a sudden I was like, "Yeah, it's fine." 
It's fine it's if one of my reference. characters. That's, it's yeah. not plagiarism. Right. It's a reference. You know, and cultural references are all over. Everything we say, all the phrases that we use, all the cliches that we engage in, you know, whatever. Like, those are all things that yeah. are from the culture. So I think that there's, like, there's definitely, like, a, you know, you want to be careful. One of the nice things that you can do is, like, at the end in the acknowledgments, lay out the references so that you're properly citing your sources as our dear yeah. friend, Dr. Kelly Jones, would absolutely... <laughs> Like, yeah, you know, cite those damn sources. Um, but the, my problem is that I don't realize that I've pulled, you know, from something. Um, you know, I had somebody who got shot in the stomach in one of my books and then looked down at it and said, bitch, right? Which comes straight from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I had no it idea. Does. I had no idea. So it, it, at the time, it wasn't a reference I was deliberately, you know, trying to pull. And I think that, like, if you if you use one quick thing, you know, by accident or whatever, that's fine. But, like, here we are. You know, we're doing the JLA. Right. And all of these are titled, you know, from references to 1950s uh, sci-fi, you know, movies. So I think that like there is absolutely a space for that. I think, you know, there's uh, there's a fine line. You got to you got to be careful. You got to be aware. But I think that you're OK. So uh, just so first of all, we should come back uh, to those titles now that we yes. are at the end of the thing, because I mm-hmm. want to talk about why those are yeah. things. Um, that was the thing I mentioned a couple issues ago. And then before we get into the summary, just so nobody thinks I'm being needlessly like mysterious or whatever, mm-hmm. the X-Men story is Days of Future Past, P-A-S-T, yes. which is referencing the Moody Blues album Days of mm-hmm. Future Past, P-A-S-S-E-D. Mm-hmm. And my Taylor Swift line was, I'll keep him like a vendetta. And look. <laughs> <laughs> that shit goes hard. I regret nothing about putting that into a villainous dialogue. Well, Come if on. Taylor sues you, you know, I will be at your side. <laughs> uh, come come at me, Tay Tay. It's fine. How about a summary? All right, let's do a summary. Roll the music, Jack. In JLA Volume 1, Issue Number 4, Superman realizes that something is hinky because he's not dead and can still use his super hearing. He figures out the Hyperclan is Martians and proceeds to fry Protex with his heat vision. Superman is so sick of Golden Boy shit that his fists itch. Meanwhile, the missing Martian Manhunter reveals himself to be Armek in disguise. It's a triple cross! Turns out the Hyperclan aren't just Martians, they're evil genocidal pale Martians, and Jean, a peaceful green Martian, is also done putting up with their nonsense. You see, the pale Martians crippled humanity's potential in prehistory, and instead of being a world of superhumans, we turned out to be just humans. For this crime and many others, the Pale Martians were sentenced to a place between space-time called the Still Zone. The Pale Martians eventually found their way out and made their way back to Earth to finish what they started and enslave humanity. The JLA, however, says, nah, brah. While Superman handles Protex, Jean frees the rest of the League and all the Pale Martian ass that's fit to be kicked gets kicked, sometimes into orbit. Good job, Wonder Woman. Once HyperClan is all sorted out, it's up to the JLA to handle the other Pale Martians invading Earth. Superman inspires the world to rise up against them with fire. In the aftermath, the JLA investigates the Still Zone, renews their commitment to catch humanity when it falls, and builds an outpost on the moon called the Watchtower. Once again, Earth is safe. For now. All right, Joshua. So here we are at the end of this like opening arc um, of the the JLA book, um, which is interesting. Wait, the book is the whole volume, 
not the am I did I say that right you're good we're not doing that we're you're doing terrific Lonnie keep going okay, keep we're not going. We, we're good <laughs> I want to make sure I'm learning and doing it right and applying the lessons no, that I've learned right. while doing this all right um all right let me start that over then no, uh, no, 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 no. You're great. We're not starting anything over. I'm going to do it for you over. one more Jack's time. Jack's got to edit some. Gonna... Okay, fine. Fine. Whatever. Jack, no, I got up. you. I got you. All right. All right. JLA is the book or the title, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. That is the overall. Yes. These issues are going to keep coming out, you know, ad infinitum. That's what they mm-hmm. are. Because it has always been Justice League of America before this moment, it's volume one, like literal volume one, like we mm-hmm. talked about from the publishing perspective. Yes. We are specifically zeroed in on the Grant Morrison and Howard Porter run, which is the set of issues that those creators did together, along Mm -hmm. with their colorists and letterers and things. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. And we are now in the fourth and final issue of the initial arc that kicked all that off. (laughs) Was that basically your understanding? Yes, I think so. But every now and again, I get confused and I'm not really sure. So anyway, let's get to our overall (laughs) response. While I'm still trying to learn how comics work. Um, Whatever, you're doing terrific. Thank you so much, teacher. Uh, What do you think about this issue? Okay. I love that the fight at the end is more like an impressionistic painting than an actual fight. I love that (laughs) Earth rises up because Superman inspires them to do so. I love Flash and GL pissing in each other's cereal. I love Wonder Woman fucking shit up. I love Batman being a badass. I love (laughs) Jean punishing the pale Martians with irony. I love the Uh sheer scope of the whole thing and how it's only the beginning. In short, I love it, but we knew that going in. How do you feel about (laughs) this fourth and final issue and the arc as a whole? Uh, You know... I liked it. I especially liked it at the end. Like at the end, it kind of, you know how there are some stories that you're like, you're in it and you're like, okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. And then finally at the end, they like pull it all together, you know, like a purse Uh string. And then you all of a sudden feel like, okay, now I get it. Now I'm in, you know, and I just needed that. Um, You know, again, like I, I, I can't, like I can say it's a little frenetic, but that can't be. Uh, criticism because that is a feature not a bug with this shit right you know like this is the way this is how it was designed to be so either get on the jet ski or get off I'm on the jet ski absolutely Um, I got a little annoyed at the art for the Wonder Woman in space fight with Primeade that was sexualized in a way that was completely unnecessary but whatever moving on because man this thing moves fast Um, I thought that the John stuff was really really powerful I I loved it and the thing is that they didn't spend much time on it they didn't really go into it that deeply but understanding the context of everything that he's going through even as minimally as I understand it made that a really powerful moment you know and so I was like damn and he like I didn't really understand him before the first time I ever saw him was in an issue of Sandman which I was doing for the Endless podcast right and I asked you about him and you explained a little bit Um, and so I was like okay this is just a green Martian man I guess that's just part of what happens (laughs) in DC and I'm in I'm on the jet ski so um, so anyway but then when I was you know engaging with this and what was going on between him the pale Martians the understanding of what it was that had happened Mm -hmm. you know all of that history History, that here are people who are from where he's from. He's lost everything. And so like there there has to be that pull of like these are my people, but they're also not his people. And so right. it's so yes. it's so heartbreaking in that way, in that like, you know, imagine getting 
what you wanted that you thought was impossible, but it's not that thing. It's so close that they, that's worse than never getting it all, you know? And so to that, I felt like that was so heartbreaking. Um, And so by, again, by the time we got to the end, by the time Superman made his speech, not only did this arc turn me around on Superman, who I've never enjoyed, right? Uh Um, Turned me around on Superman, turned me around on JLA, turned me around on DC, like for four issues, you know, like, I think I, this is incredibly powerful. It's a lot. It is a flashy yeah, neon yeah. sign of comic book, like, you know, shenanigans, and I'm, I'm here for it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's good. I'm still a little, you know, I'm still a little wary about some of it, but overall, like, I, I thought it landed pretty well. And the first time I read it, which was last week, immediately after the last issue, when I'd read the last issue and I was like, cliffhanger, fuck off, I'm reading this thing. And so I just kept going. <laughs> and then I was texting you in the middle of it. And then I was like, ah, you know, the Superman stuff. And you were like, yeah, the Superman stuff. So it's it's pretty cool. I like it. Good. Very good. What I particularly appreciate and what I hoped would land for you, mm-hmm. and it seems to be, is, is you were sort of like breadcrumbed into really caring, right? Yes. Like <laughs> they gave you Green Lantern as this giant source of vulnerability. So I knew yeah. that that would hook you, right? Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, though, the pathos... For Jean, and again, I've given you a lot of context that really Mm -hmm. opens that up for you, but even if all you had were these four issues, you would not have the depth, but it would still have depth. Yeah. You know, and um, and actually the getting what you want and it not being really what you want is Mm -hmm. a thing that we will see again uh, in not too many issues of JLA Mm -hmm. in a really interesting way. Um, And the idea of... Well, I mean, we'll talk we'll talk more about it in uh when we get into it, but the idea that that Wonder Woman's response to where are your friends now is where we've always been, right here. Oh, is yeah. that in that very picture are a bunch of people who are outsiders mm-hmm. for one reason or another yeah. or the la- or the literal last survivor of their species Mm -hmm. like Superman Mm -hmm. or the, you know, the orphan who turned himself into something better in Batman, the last Green Lantern, the, uh, the Atlantean half-breed who is king. The, I mean, you know, just, they're all, they don't stress the outsiderness in the way that the X-Men do. It's not Mm -hmm. a theme of the Justice League, but it is a character theme that I think, like I say, they just kind of like, here's a little breadcrumb, Lonnie. Oh, by the way, we're doing some giant, huge shit. Did you also notice that you're feeling things? You know. <laughs> it's like a Trojan I've horse of pathos. I, seriously, I've never seen anything like it. Um, and it's, it's taken me a while to adjust. But yeah, that, you know, that was good. <laughs> that was good. Right, so here we are. We've got our cover art, right? Um, and you know, it's Batman, it's Superman, Wonder Woman, Martian Manhunter, Aquaman, who we didn't see a lot of, but is still like really super present. Uh, Green Lantern, The Flash. They're all zooming out of the villain's lair, ready to kick some ass. I like it. I think it's it's a nice kind of, you can almost hear like the, you know, John Williams-esque orchestra music yeah. kind of coming up behind them. Um, I think it's pretty cool. Um, we're actually going to talk a, a little bit in this issue about things mm-hmm. that I air quotes here. 
Yeah. Even though they may or may not be present on Mm -hmm. the page or in the the sound effects. But I think that that's a really good way to say what I like about this cover, which is to kind of come back to how you've talked before that the the story isn't about how it is. It's about how it feels. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, like, does this cover really tell me anything about what's going on in the issue? No, mm-hmm. but it absolutely tells me what the issue feels like. Absolutely, which is one of the wonderful things about cover art is that it can really give you, it can kind of solidify theme. You know, what is this about? Yes. This is about yes. these, this team of people coming together, you know, to make sure that the world is safe. And um, and I, I like that. Like, it's actually a very, it's a very simple cover. But you do hear that swelling, you know, John Williams, yeah. you know, music symphony going up. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty great. I like it. Now, I, I feel like you don't have a lot of uh, opinion on the interior art, though. Like, it's still just, you know, uh, just sort of an one onslaught. Wonder Woman. <laughs> Well, yeah, we'll, we'll get which to is that a thing. We We're going to, that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to point out that there are a few really amazing touches for me. Mm-hmm. And, and you have some of these in your notes, but yeah. I'm going to go harder on some of them, uh-huh. right? But um, I, this might be more of a letterer thing, but mm-hmm. I actually love when Superman says his name in a logo. In a we'll logo. talk more about that oh in a God. minute. Yeah. Because that's part of hearing things that may or may not actually be there. Yes. Um, I loved the Martian shape-shifting effect. Like, mm-hmm. most of the time when we get shapeshifter stuff, it's very fluid. It's liquid, mm-hmm. right? And these were, like, breaking themselves into little pieces, like puzzle pieces, and putting themselves back together in different shapes. And it's just mm-hmm. it's just a take that I hadn't seen before, um, and I'd really like to know whose idea that was, because yeah. it's very super cool. Mm-hmm. But I also understand why people do not draw it that way all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and lastly... We have talked about the scope of this thing before, but from an art perspective, in this issue, we go from orbit to the center of the Earth, from France to New York City, (laughs) and to a place that doesn't exist in the still zone, Mm -hmm. and Porter never fucking misses a dribble, man. Like, he is just, like, just keeps this thing going even though it literally goes as high as it can go, as deep as it can go, as wide as it can go, and also mm-hmm. into the cracks in reality. <laughs> I'm damned impressed. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty great. Um, all right, so let's get into the story discussion. Uh, what is the ZZZZZ thing all about? What is that? <laughs> okay, all right. This is in one way such a small thing, so I really want to mm-hmm. talk about it and get it out of the way, yeah. but it's literally mm-hmm. the first couple pages, you know? Uh, yes. So... Mm-hmm. So things to keep in mind, okay, Mm -hmm. just some baseline stuff you should know. That was fairly obvious by the time you got done with Superman's opening scene. But green kryptonite Mm -hmm. does not just kill him. It does kill him. Mm -hmm. Like, it's giving him accelerated radiation poisoning. But it also slowly robs him of his powers. Okay. And usually the senses... All the super senses are the first to go. Now, that'll mm-hmm. vary over time and in different continuities. But generally speaking, it's like the stuff like uh, supervision, super hearing, all that mm-hmm. stuff tends to go first and invulnerability goes last. Like that's mm-hmm. sort of like built in. Um, you actually see this played with in Morrison's All-Star Superman story at one point. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. That he's starting to lose his powers. And thank goodness invulnerability is the last one because that's mm-hmm. how he's going to get home. But... What I wanted to point out here is, first of all, that's one of the tip-offs that lets Mm -hmm. him realize that something is not right. Stuff is Mm -hmm. not as it appears, right? And I feel like it really kicks him in the emotional pants. Like, I feel like the 
making Lonnie care about Superman in this issue really starts on this first page because there's yeah. an emotional kick in the pants yep. here. The thing that motivates him is that he hears people needing him mm-hmm. and the rest of the league, right? Okay, so here's the trick, though. ZZZZ is a sound effect. Okay. It is a well-known sound effect. It is the only sound effect that we see him hearing, which is a weird thing to say, but it's comics, right? right? We see him hearing. The rest of it is dealt with in narration. Mm -hmm. And it's actually so integrated into the page, you could almost miss it as a sound effect, except Mm -hmm. I know a little something. Exactly. (laughs) Z, 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 Z is traditionally the sound that is made by Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen's signal watch. Interesting. So when when Jimmy gets in trouble, he hits a button on the super watch and it uh-huh. goes Z, 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 Z at a, at a level only Superman can hear. And then Superman knows that his best non-superhero friend is in trouble and he goes and saves Jimmy every time. Like that's the that's the thing. And when and as a little bit of history, Jimmy Olsen, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, is one of the longest running comics in superhero history. Like he had hundreds of really? issues. And what's wild is if you uh-huh. read them, I've got a big fat collection on my shelf. It's amazing. But what's wild is he really only uses the watch maybe three throws or uh, not even three throws out of four. I shouldn't say like one throw out of four. Mm-hmm. Most of the time he gets himself out of trouble or <laughs> he's basically got the bad guys taken care of and he hits the watch for Superman to come get him and take him to the cops. Like he's a fairly self-sufficient dude. I like but it. when shit gets real, mm-hmm. he hits the button. And this is another big emotional kick in the pants for me because <gasps> yeah. of all of the things Mm-hmm. That motivates Superman. His best friend is in trouble and he needs to get loose from this situation and go save him. Uh, None of that is text. That is all yeah, subtext. I had no that idea. You just, have to I know. thought it was just the sound of the kryptonite. Yeah, no, th- mm-hmm. yeah, that's the th- like, it doesn't detract from anything if you don't know, but if you know, it is like an exclamation point on all that narration. Wow. The world needs him. His best friend needs him. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to stand up. Oh, my God. And, that's awesome. You know, my final thought on that is like Superman is just such a good person. y'all. <laughs> like he's just like, that's the deal on top of whatever else he can Aww. do. He's just so good. Not perfect because he stands up from there and is like, let's make a deal that lets me beat your teeth in instead of laser facing <laughs> you. Right. So he's not a perfect man. Right. Mm-hmm. But he's good. And and and. That is all brought home in some narration and the Z, Z, Z sound effect uh, in a way that I thought you would appreciate I a little do. depth. I do. I do appreciate that, especially because uh, most of this, I had no idea what the hell was going on. Um, most of this <laughs> issue, I was like, all right, so there are a lot of Martians and they're changing shape. There was, yeah, that point where all of a sudden it's like their faces start cracking off. And I was uh-huh, like, okay, uh-huh. what is... What is going? Because I didn't know they were shapeshifters. I didn't know that. Other that, like, I didn't know what the effect was. I thought it meant that they were disintegrating and falling apart on the page. And then, as we went, I saw you know Protex turn into a monster with a big belly mm-hmm. full of teeth. Like, I got you know that was <laughs> that was interesting. Um, you know, John came in. He was wearing the Armek suit, so I thought it was Armek. But then Armek was chasing the fast Martian, and I don't remember what his name is because oh my god! And I was like, I'm not looking it up um i thought john was in the armic suit because he left the real armic in the gobi desert
but then Armek is fast behind the one and John is fighting Primate and and there's bad guy HQ and what even the fuck is even happening? And I just got to the point where I was like, you know what? I don't know what's happening here, but I'm just going to keep reading. I'm just going to keep moving through it. Like if I can't, it used to be, I would see something and I'd be like, okay, I don't know what this is. Let me look it up. Let me see if I can find a reference. Let me go through, let me go back through the pages and see if I can see where I lost the thread, like all of that kind of stuff. At this point, I was like, you know what? Josh will explain it to me. I don't even know what the hell's going on. <laughs> so you've, again, mm-hmm. the my cur- my refrain for yes. you for all of Justice League is you basically got it, uh-huh, right? Like yeah, you uh-huh. basically got it. Uh, um, the shape-shifting thing is such a fundamental part of Jean's power yeah. set. And mm-hmm. we've talked about it a little bit. Like it's come up, you know, when right. I told you a little mm-hmm. bit about of history and stuff, but like in the midst of all this, We've talked before. One of the things that we really appreciate about Morrison is there is no handholding. Like, you're smart. Exactly. You'll figure it out. <laughs> and and you basically did. I now, love that, too. I mean, I really do. But at this point, I just like, I can't. I don't even know. I'll just ask Joshua later. <laughs> I really feel like there's only two bits mm-hmm. that you sort of drop the ball on and a little bit of it. And neither one are really, you know, mm-hmm. your fault. Like, they're, they're very much like, you're smart. You'll figure it out, yeah. you know, kind of moments. But... One of them is the shape shifting that it's right. Jean was doing a triple cross right yes. on mm-hmm. on them, um, and the other one we'll talk about in a bit is Bob Gray, right? Well, yeah. uh, we'll talk mm-hmm. more about him in a minute. But it is worth saying mm-hmm. that one big part of Morrison's style, on top of all the other things that we've talked about, is they really do all of the stories start to feel like those cartoon snowballs mm-hmm. that just get bigger. Yeah. As they go down the hill and it picks up momentum. And by the end of it, it all feels very rushed and it's happening right now. And it's not like it's felt slow up till now. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That may or may not work for any given reader. Right. Like for me, this is a place that I've grown to. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have all this like background to to sort of make it clear to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I really think that's what happens. You got caught in the Morrison snowball. (laughs) Um, but you handled it correctly, which is you stuck your arms and your legs and your head out and just went with it. And you know, just, just so. roll with it. Absolutely. I mean, definitely. Okay, so here's another thing that, like, okay, got my attention. I definitely noticed it. I didn't know what it was about. Superman speaking his own name in logo form. Like, what is... I don't understand. Like, I, I the thing is, I, I dig lettering. Like, one of my favorite things about comics is the power that is in the lettering. And the most powerful things, you know, in our media are the things that we don't notice, right? That we don't like, that kind of are yeah, so beautifully yeah. done that they're invisible, right? So oftentimes, I will I will take a deliberate moment to, like, look at the lettering, study the, the mm-hmm, form and mm-hmm. the style and all of that kind of stuff and see what I can, I can glean from that. But this one stood out where he's like it's Superman I'm like first of all speaking about yourself in the third person whatever but also like the the fact that Superman was in logo form and I was like I don't I don't know how to interpret that as like what does that mean does it mean that he is like narcissistically obsessed with his own trademark is it one of those things where like you don't fuck with you don't pull on Superman's cape right you know (laughs) like you don't mess with Superman like what is what is that choice about because it just felt so weird it is absolutely weird but it's also Mm -hmm. in the list of things i think only comics can do like it's stuff only Mm -hmm. comics can do it would not work anywhere else Mm -hmm. um so in this particular context i think that we're just supposed to read it 
mm-hmm. with some kind of really powerful gravitas. And and I this is supported by mm-hmm. the fact that everybody's like, how do we handle this? Mm-hmm. And they decide they have to mobilize the world. Yeah. Right? That will happen more than once in this run, by the okay. way. Uh-huh. So there, there's been all this mind control to make people hate the JLA. And when it's like, who's going to tell them to get it together and mm-hmm. resist the Martians while we hold it together? It's unanimous. It's got to be you, Superman. Like, yeah. he literally just got done saying, and in my heart of hearts, I believe in them. Yeah. They believe oh, in me, and God. I believe in them. That's so wonderful. Yeah. So I don't know how that's supposed to sound. Right. But at the same time, in my, and this is a weird phrase, mind's ear, Yeah, it just lands like it just hits with this like ladies and gentlemen this is superman and it's like i feel like we're supposed to hear it like everybody else hears it everybody else is in Mm -hmm. living in terror like they're terrified martians are falling from the sky you know (laughs) and then they hear superman's voice and they're like oh okay yeah fire and the Mm -hmm. jla will be here soon it just the closest i can get in my head is if you've ever listened to the old radio show Mm -hmm. The Superman radio show, intensely popular mm-hmm. at the time. And they had, I forget his name now, um, George Reeves, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that might have been the man from the serial. So I apologize if I'm wrong there. But they had the same voice actor for Clark Kent and Superman. Yeah. And he spoke like up high and through his nose when he was Clark Kent. So he'd be like, gee, Lois, I'm not <laughs> sure if we're going to be able to do the thing. <laughs> and because we couldn't see him duck into a phone booth or rip right. his shirt open, they did it with his voice. He would say, oh, no, this looks like a job for Superman. And, like, it would be in the middle of the sentence. Right. There would be no pause. Like, mm-hmm. it would be Clark Kent in the first half, no pause at the four Superman. It just dropped into mm-hmm. this whole other Superman octave. That's the closest I can get yeah. to how it sounds in my mind. But I think that's what they're doing is mm-hmm. you're able to give this word, this icon, you know, this fictional yeah. metaphor for all these things, you're able to like inject that into this fictional reality mm-hmm. in a graphical way that would never work on television. What the hell would you do? Right. Would would not even really work in a in a novel. Like you can mm-hmm. kind of do it in a novel, maybe, right. but it doesn't mm-hmm. there's so much less graphic representation in a novel, like almost yeah. none, yeah. right? That it's gonna stick out too much, mm-hmm. right? Like it's too much in a novel. Anyway, so I think that's what the whole piece of it is. And again, I put it in the notes just because I was like, only comics can do this. Uh, Only comics can do this. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's what um, amazes me so much after having spent this last year or so getting into like reading comics regularly. um, I'm fascinated by everything everything the collaboration of it the artwork the the things that you can do in places like in the gutter right you know like in the in the empty yes. space there is meaning in the empty space in comics it blows my mind every time you know it's just kind of amazing mm-hmm. um but one thing that i'm just gonna have to i brought it up a little bit at the beginning let's go ahead and get it over no, with. we gotta talk this, about it this discussion while we're doing the visual about- stuff Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, I love this line. What happened to Primate? And then it's Wonder Woman happened to her. And I'm like, I love that. And then I go to that page and I was like, are you kidding me? Like we have these two women boobs everywhere. Like I understand yeah. it's, it's zero gravity, like, but seriously, like the boobs are <laughs> just everywhere. It wouldn't matter. And they are <laughs> locked together at the pelvis. 
right? And I, my first response, I have it in my notes, is FFS. I'm like, what in the hell is this? You know, um, yeah, yeah. they look like they're having sex. And um, we have two women, right? I think it's just Primate and just Wonder Woman. Do we have any other women in this whole thing? Aside from like the occasional uh, newscaster. No. Yeah. Uh, um, I think one of the other Martians, and, and, and as an aside, mm-hmm. I... I don't know that anyone's ever taken it on, but I have also wondered, like, what is sex and or gender in a shape-shifting race of telepaths? You know, Fair enough. But I, like, I fair think question. there are two female mm-hmm. presenting, if I recall, two female mm-hmm. presenting Martians. But otherwise, yeah, it's basically uh, all sausage all the time. They all uh, look like men to me, except these two and yeah. these two. And, like, I yeah. swear, like, if you can find a page in any of these comics in which two male superheroes are fighting in space... And looking like they're in a sexual position, um, you know, then I then I will shut up. But like I saw that and I was like, get your fucking male gaze out of my comics. I am not here for this. You all are better than this. You know, you just are. Yeah, Everything yeah. that they do in comics, there's so much. We're talking all the time about the amazing work that they do in, you know, in these comics. And then to bring it down to this, you know, um, I just like... It felt like a slap in the face to me. Like, I was just not ready to see that. I wasn't expecting it. I was expecting better because we are getting so much better than that with our male characters. Like, what they're doing with the other characters has been so deep and so meaningful. And Wonder Woman gets to fuck in space. Like, I just that just infuriated me. But, like, I mean, and the thing is, I think part of the reason why it infuriated me so much is because everything else is so great. Yes, everything else with Wonder Woman specifically is so great. Yeah, like in the whole absolutely. the whole arc and in this issue like mm-hmm. with Superman busy with Protect, she's mm-hmm. the one who is there leading the league, yeah. you know, in that in the big group shot. And honestly, I have no defense for this male gaze business, but mm-hmm. other than that, yeah. her fucking wrecking primate in orbit, yeah, mostly because she just out endured her. Like, how the hell long was she going <laughs> to hold her breath? I love whole, that shit. We get that whole "how long can you hold your breath" thing, and the Batman's like three minutes, fifteen seconds. Don't ask me how I know. Like all of that, I absolutely <laughs> adore. Right? I think that that's great. It's and that I think is part of the reason why, like, in something that wasn't as good. I think it would annoy me less because my expectations wouldn't be so high. Yes, but yes. like here I was feeling like I was in a space because she had the whole thing with Aquaman and they, you know, they had their interaction and it wasn't sexualized there. And I was like, oh, great. Right. Like aside from the fact that and I brought this up early in the artwork, like it, it's, you know, boobs all like it, the boobs are right, just right, right. like really like. It's a lot. It's a lot, you know. Um, But aside from that, like overall, I felt like the representation was pretty good and everybody's bodies are are accentuated beyond, you know, belief. So like the fact that like they're representing that they're also representing Superman's muscles are also a lot. Everybody's muscles are also a lot. So I think that it's fair to say, you know, that we're getting equal, equal play there, you know, but to have this one thing just come out of, for me, what felt like nowhere um, and to be slapped with that, I felt, um, I felt kind of betrayed by the comic itself, you know, in a really weird way. We've really gone deep on it, so I don't need to go mm-hmm. as hard on it. But I, I want you to be prepared for there to unfortunately yeah. be more of that. Uh, I it's imagine. like mm-hmm. like the the male gaze is really built into superhero stuff mm-hmm. by and large. 
Um, and what I am about to say is just by way of interest and mm -hmm. not really by way of defense, because mm -hmm. Morrison is themselves queer mm -hmm. and uh, but they didn't draw this, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. and uh, and Porter, like one of the reasons Porter got this job, I think, is because he's able to do this big, over the top, mm -hmm. traditional, like yeah. the biggest widescreen, you know, superhero stuff. I do think that there is one line here that mm -hmm. I feel is fairly male homoerotic, which mm -hmm. does not balance the scales because. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, first of all, there's decades of male gaze in superhero comics, but also yeah. because the visual is so much more powerful than mm -hmm. than you know one line. Yeah. Um, but I think it speaks to that whole things are being juggled here, mm -hmm. right? And there's that moment when Protex says to Superman, "Can you feel me filling you up?" Right. And like again, that reads as potentially as suggestive in its way, mm -hmm. but it's also like one pebble in the avalanche, well, you know, also, of the rest of it. Well, also, like, the homoeroticism of it is not a problem. If Wonder Woman and Primate were girlfriends having sex in space, and that's what this was, you know, it, right, they're fighting right. for the, you know, survival of the Earth and represented, like, we, the thing is, we are looking at them from the outside in. That is what the male gaze is. Um, so, like, yes. the homoeroticism of it, I'm all here for that. Absolutely. Give me, you know, all sorts of queer superheroes. I am into it. I would love it. You know, that's not the problem. Um, the problem for me is the way in which what is a fight to the death is portrayed when women yes. are doing yeah. it. Um, and that, to me, was um, was really, really disturbing. So, I just I just didn't care for that. But again, like, um, you know, when we're when I was talking about the boobs and the way that the boobs are like 3D in your face, like fine. So are all the muscles <laughs> on the men. Like so is like so is everything like everything in this is neon sign flashing in your face. All right, fine. Um, but yeah, this was just a bit much. So it was just one of those things where like it was a moment for me that kind of took me out of it. Um, but then, of course, you know, John, John, I, I'm oh, almost out. And man, he brings you're me right back, back in. in. Brings me back in. Um, here we have. There's so much. Uh, it's so much going on with John in so little time, and there's things that are just like hinted at, and I'm sure there's things that are like flying right past me, like the z z z z, you know. But here we have this moment where um, he says that was all the pale Martians ever had to offer our culture: war and hatred and destruction. And I'm like, well, this may not be intentional, but here we have John as a you know Martian of color, and then mm -hmm. all the white ones are causing a lot of trouble. And I'm like, you know. I, I feel it, <laughs> like you know, I yeah. kind of like, I don't yeah. know if I'm reading something into that because I've, you know, been doing some work and trying to be more sensitive to that kind of thing. Um, but I found that to be, uh, to be like really kind of a powerful moment. And then in the end, when he says, I must be the final arbiter, you do not know the culture. You know, yes. how yes. fucking important that is and how everybody gets out of his way and lets him do it. Like, lets him say, I know what needs to be done. This is my space. This is my lane. Leave me alone and let me handle it. Right. Because I understand where all of this is coming from. I understand the context. I understand all of this. Um, and I just like I really appreciated that deeply. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that I have anything to add uh, other mm -hmm. than to, to just to second all of that and to kind of highlight a line that that really did that for me when he said, there are punishments that you may not approve mm -hmm. and no one questions him. Yeah. Right. And I mean, 
in the usual superhero grim and gritty bullshit that makes me <laughs> tired, that would okay. just be murder. Right. right. It would just mm-hmm. be murder. But in this case, which Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman would not be okay with, mm-hmm. you know, let alone, you know, Wally and Kyle it would just be like, maybe don't murder people. Like, yeah, but they mm-hmm. never question him. They know him. Yes. They understand Jean as a, as an individual mm-hmm. and Jean as a final focal point of this mm-hmm. entire lost civilization and culture. And they, yeah, as you say, they just get out of his way. And mm-hmm. I don't, when it comes to the pale Martians, it is really interesting to me that almost every other time they show up, they just get called white Martians. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, I I don't want to ascribe anything necessarily right. to mm-hmm. that. But at the same time, uh, yeah, it hits yeah. hard. It resonates. You know? It really does. And I think that it's, you know, and again, like, you know, it's, it's you know, literally white Martians and green Martians. And so it's not exactly an analog. Um, but it, it does feel like something that I'm like, yeah, you know, fair enough. Like, let's let's go ahead and leave space for for looking at things from the perspective of, of different, mm-hmm. you know, kinds of people in that circumstance. Um, but, you know, as long well, as and before we get into we're going to yeah. talk about the mythology of it. But right. part of that mythology is that the pale Martians were on Earth fucking around. Yeah. Basically being colonizers. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like just poking around to see what they could do with the whole, th- you know, with the whole thing. And. Um, I mean, yeah. So uh, again, it, I, I don't want to say it's definitely this because it might be other things also, but it's mm-hmm. it's partly this. It's a, it's got know. a resonance to it that I think is worth looking at. Absolutely. Um, but while we're talking about Jean, um, and again, like we talked about this a little bit in the open, but uh, how powerful this is, where. You know, he's lost all of his people. And I also love the fact that, like, you know, what you brought up earlier, that that everybody, all of these superheroes are, because they are superheroes, by nature, isolated. Like, even if their people mm-hmm. still exist, nobody exists the way that they exist. Nobody understands the way. So they're all kind of isolated. They're all orphaned you know, in one sense Mm -hmm. or another. And so what they have for community is each other, because no matter what their different backgrounds are, they understand that experience in a way that, that like nobody else really could. But here we have John who has lost everything. And the, the devastation, like in the moment that we understand that we learn that they are Martians, somebody who's savvy about comic books may have picked it up before I did, but I didn't know until Batman said, y'all are Martians, you're afraid of fire, here you go, let me light you on fire, you know? <laughs> um, and it, it, so uh, when we saw Jean in the beginning, like for me, I didn't get the resonance of his placement in this story. And he was kind of absent for a lot of the story. Like we just didn't spend a whole lot of time with him. Then when he shows up and here are people who are from where he's from, like he knows the culture. So do they. You know, like they know it in a way that nobody else does. This is everything you ever wanted, except nothing you wanted, you know, mm-hmm, to have mm-hmm. that. And and we spend no time in it. Like, this is the thing that's so amazing and why I completely understand how much you love Grant Morrison's work is that we're not spending time on it. We're not spoon feeding any of this. Like all of this is context where you as a reader have to do all the work yourself. Like you need to put all this together. But how heartbreaking is that? I finally get yes. to see people from where he's from and he has to dispatch of them. 
uh, you know, he has to... And it's to, the worst yeah. possible examples of yes, his people. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. But it is still his people. Like, uh, to me, that in itself, like that moment, uh, there's a lot of good stuff in this run. But for that, yeah, that's yeah. that's what this run, like for me, essentially comes down to. Um, and to be in a story where if you're not paying attention, you could miss so much of that. You know, but if you yes, actually will yes. sit and think about it, how incredibly powerful it is and how Grant Morrison manages to make this so incredibly powerful um, without really spending that much time in it. Um, I, I, it's uh, it's magic. It's just magic. Like, I don't know. I don't understand how this works. I love it. It's magic. <laughs> I mean, so uh, I, I mean, I love almost I, I love almost all the things mm-hmm. you know that Morrison has done. Uh, they have a novel coming out soon yeah. that I just cannot oh. like. It's at the time we're recording this, I have pre-ordered it. It's yeah. I'm hot for it, but mm-hmm. um, so I'm I'm in it to mm-hmm. win it. Yeah. The thing that I think helps the superhero work is that Morrison has a really strong handle of. The mythology, the depth. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, they can put in one sentence all of this feeling. When Jean says, I'm sorry, Superman, I allowed my personal feelings to get in the way, but they are the last survivors of my people. And, and like... It's one sentence. Yeah. And you, as you say, you could miss it, right? Like you could, it's in the midst of other stuff we really like when he Mm -hmm. talks about the culture and being the final arbiter. There's all this stuff in like three word balloons Mm -hmm. that totally works right there. But if you have, if you recognize the the length and breadth of these characters' Mm -hmm. histories and that Jean is saying this to Superman, who is also the last survivor of his people, but does not have the memory and connection to those people yeah. that Jean does. Because incidentally, almost every time we run into Kryptonians, which is not very often, but almost every time we do, they are the assholes of space. They were the assholes of space when they were alive. They're the assholes of space now. And the only, like a lot of times you see the only good Kryptonian is Superman and mm-hmm. Supergirl, who is mm-hmm. influenced by him, right? right? But he doesn't remember his people. Jean was an adult when he was taken. I mean, so there's all these like multi layers and Superman's like, of course you did. Mm -hmm. You know, like there's just this empathy and understanding and it's on the way to us building a watchtower on the moon. Yeah. You know, like it's just it's it's both the heart of the story and on the way to the to the bigger, wider stuff. And yeah, that's that's really that's the deft touch that has mm-hmm. all that made me a fan of Morrison, specifically in superhero stuff and led me to like look at their entire oeuvre. So. Yeah, I'm very excited that they're writing a book. Um, I would love to see their work in that format. So yeah, I'm going to order gonna that. It's going to be so weird. I'm going to order that myself because that's going to be amazing. Um, all right. So dipping like, yeah, into the mythology here, there was this, you know, like reference that uh, that these, you know, pale Martians were put in the still zone. And then we actually have a shot of the still zone. And I'm like, yeah. okay, so what is the still like? Uh, and again, it's stuff that like in the end, can I, t- it looks like a prison. So I guess it's a prison of some yeah. sort, you know, yeah. basically. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't like what is the still zone? What's the history there? What is that about? OK, I got a few things I want to unpack there. Too. OK, uh, because Morrison plays in Jack Kirby's sandbox a lot. Mm-hmm. And some of what happens here, I think, nods 
at that wider work. Mm-hmm. Like that's an interesting, that's another thing that Morrison will often do across decades, sometimes nod at themes that, you know, go on and on mm-hmm. and on. Right. Um, so the still zone is probably the easiest one. We're going to see the still zone crop up a few mm-hmm. more times okay. under different names because different groups of people discover it at different times and in different ways. Mm-hmm. So we're actually going to run into a villain okay. later on that makes use of the still zone who's never heard of Martians okay. and just got to it in their own way. The most tie to the DC universe as a whole is that for a long time, since the Silver Age, Superman has had the Phantom Zone, mm-hmm. and it was what Krypton used as a prison. They just okay. put their criminals in the Phantom Zone. And they it's only suggested that the Still Zone and the Phantom Zone are the same thing, but it's like a pretty easy like leap. You know, okay. the Martians mm-hmm. discovered it over here. Mm-hmm. Kryptonians discovered it over here. Sometimes it's been used for positive things. Um, mm-hmm. I mentioned Daxamites before, and that Mon-El is a character in the Legion of Superheroes. At one point, he was poisoned with lead. Mm-hmm. In the present, the mm-hmm. present of Superboy, and Superboy put him in the Phantom Zone so he wouldn't die wow. from lead poisoning mm-hmm. until they could find a cure for that. Mm-hmm. It took a thousand years, unfortunately, because you don't age, you're immaterial. That's the punishment. Oh, you're stuck in okay. there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you can see the real world, but you cannot interact with it. So that's what's going on with the still zone. Mm-hmm. The the thing that's going on with we should have been superhumans and instead we're just humans that's yeah. interesting is mm-hmm. let me take a quick step back to Jack Kirby. Okay. So <laughs> Jack Kirby co-created the Marvel Universe as we know it. Uh, I've got I, that's all I'm going to say because there's mm-hmm. a million other things I could say. So it was a huge deal when Kirby moved from Marvel to DC in the 70s and Kirby started for DC a thing you've heard me talk about a lot it's actually my biggest superhero tattoo Mm -hmm. is from this set of stories called the new gods or sometimes called the fourth world because the fourth world literally started with the death of the old gods Mm -hmm. who you could recognize as some Marvel guys (laughs) if you looked closely at the silhouettes that was Mm -hmm. the third world and now we are into the fourth world it has been suggested before often by Morrison Mm -hmm. That one of the reasons Earth is so much the center of all this stuff is that Earth will be the cradle from which the fifth world is born, which means Earth is where the next new gods will come from. Mm -hmm. And it is therefore suggested that that future was punted further than it should have been, Mm -hmm. galactically, cosmically speaking, when the Pale Martians fucked about and turned us into just humans instead of superhumans. Ah. So that's a lot of suggested stuff and mm-hmm. me pulling from bunch of different Morrison work and other people's work in the fourth world, not mm-hmm. to mention Kirby's own, you know, foundation stones. But I think that's a lot. So when you ask what's the mythology, oh, sister, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would take a long time to to definitely go through all of that. But it, it's pretty cool. And the thing is, is that, like, honestly, I was able to get the general gist of everything. Yeah. Like I was able to put it together it's enough tragedy. through context clues. Yeah, like it's that stuff is there, but it's not anything that that basically blocks me from accessing the story. So it's right. so and this is the thing again about comics that just astounds me is um is how much material there is to draw from. And that, you know, if you are a writer who knows, you know, what's going on and how all of this goes together, you can pluck a piece from here and pluck a piece from there and create deep conflict, deep story, deep resonance. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's mm-hmm. that's what you know. That's what mythology is about. Mythology is yes. about being able to revisit all of these human experiences and find a new way of looking at them and understanding them from different perspectives. It's amazing and beautiful. Um, so moving from mythology into philosophy, um, <laughs> this is what got yes. Me. We oh my god, you are literally moving from the mythos to the logos. I love that's it. Yes, let's talk about the philosophy. We are not messing around here on in the gutter. Um, so. We move from mythology to philosophy and we get to the end of this story and we have this wonderful moment where the JLA are examining their motives and questioning their actions. And I fucking Mm -hmm. am here for it. There was this moment, I think it was Wonder Woman who said, are we doing too much or too little? When does intervention become domination? And I'm like, hot damn for asking that question. Like, you may not know the answer. You may not understand. Understand, And that's what makes human life so freaking complicated is that often nothing is one thing. Everything is eight right. different things in a trench coat. And you have to sort out which ones are good, which <laughs> ones are bad. And at what point do you figure that out? You know, um, I love this. Humankind has to be allowed to climb to its own destiny. We cannot carry them there. Oh, my God. I mean, that was wonderful. I absolutely loved that. And what you are not expecting at the end of all of this like, you know, all of this amazing in your face, neon flashing lights, superhero psychedelic stuff is to have a page full of deep, thoughtful questions. And then there was yeah. this final thing is how they, they summed it up. Why should they need us at all? And then Superman to catch them when they fall. And that was when it worked for me. That was when Superman worked for me. That was when like, I was like, yes, absolutely. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. I love this because you do not expect after this wild, you know, like car on two wheels riding through the desert, chasing (laughs) Martians and all these like different forms, like all of mind control and everything being so dialed to 11 that, that Morrison at the end pulls all of this together into a fucking philosophical thread about like the nature of what it means to be a superhero, to have Mm -hmm. with great power comes great responsibility. What is that responsibility? And the fact that these people with all of these superpowers are asking themselves these questions that are so essential to what it is to be a superhero. That was the moment like, yeah, I got thrown out a little bit by a couple of things in this issue, but yeah, that was yeah. the moment where I was like, fuck, yes, baseball. Like, let's do this. You know, it. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. This is uh, a thing that crops mm-hmm. up again. Morrison has themes that stretch across decades with this. Yeah. Um, in All-Star Superman, Superman actually discusses the Fortress of Solitude as a time capsule mm-hmm. from the dawn of the age of superheroes. Wow. Which means that Superman fully expects everyone on Earth to be a super being at some point. Like, oh my God. why wouldn't they be? You know, Krypton did it. Mars mm-hmm. did it. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't Earth do it? And mm-hmm. we're going to be the example along the way. And so and he's, you know, literally dying at mm-hmm. that point. Like, mm-hmm. like he's basically like getting his affairs in order and describing the fortress as that the time capsule from the dawn of the age of superheroes we'll see it again as we progress through jla when we get to the dc 1 million Mm -hmm. and we see that the legacy of the justice league survives into the deep 
future, like the farthest reaches of the future, their example survives. Oh my God. And humanity thrives Mm -hmm. under it. You know, that kind of thing. Doesn't mean everything's fine. Adventure Mm -hmm. is still a thing. Like danger still happens, but humans are better because of this. Uh, They did not dominate. They caught us when we fell. I also feel like it addresses some of the sort of inherent boundaries Mm -hmm. of superhero fiction. Superheroes tend to be reactive by nature. Um, We want them to be sort of an alternate present. A war, especially Marvel went hard for this, the world outside your window, but also yeah. superheroes. But there's a point where that just falls off. It doesn't make sense anymore. And so we just have to agree to not let the world building sprawl that far. Mm-hmm. Philosophically, this can land us in a place where we're like, well, what the dumbest fucking question in the world? Well, why doesn't Batman, why doesn't Bruce Wayne just solve crime in Gotham by writing checks? Well, because it's fucking boring for one thing. <laughs> And for another thing, yeah, money helps, but it's not mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. only thing. Like, it, you know, I have a much bigger, robust answer to that, but that's just the dumbest. Show me you don't understand a fucking thing about fiction or superheroes without actually saying you don't understand a thing <laughs> about fiction and superheroes. <laughs> this allows them to exist in a space where they are aspirational. Mm-hmm. While accepting the limits of how the fiction works instead of pushing against those and pretending that you are more adult and an intellectual giant. Fuck you. This is the way to do it. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of amazing. Uh, So anyway, uh, after that incredible cap. Like on this whole thing, right? You know, we have this the epilogue. Oh my god, we have, we've got like a coda, right? Which is, you know, yeah. we, who the hell is Bob Gray? I'm presuming this means like it said, this was 69 people, right? That just suddenly, you know, kind of landed in human life and not really knowing where they came from or whatever. At least that was what I was. So, and they said there were 70 Martians in the air that were coming down yeah. to Earth. So I yeah. did the math you know, um, mm-hmm. and figured out that these are all the Martians who are now living human lives. And I don't know, like, I'm just checking with you. Like, first of all, Martians who are afraid of fire and he's a firefighter. Like, I kind of I kind of dig that. Right. I thought that was a pretty oh, nice yeah, yeah, thematic yeah. resonance. Um, but did I read that right? Am I understanding this right? Or did I completely miss it? This was Jean's punishment to them. <gasps> oh. Now I get it. Yeah. Oh, okay. See, I knew they had become, but I didn't understand that this was what Jean had chosen. Yes. Fascinating. Yes. He rehabilitated them, essentially. Actually, it's mm-hmm. it's layers of irony. Like yeah. the punishment is layers of irony. He robbed them of their identity as individuals yeah. and as pale Martians mm-hmm. and then convinced them that they were what the Pale Martians always hated. Oh my it's god, a little I love bit... it so much. I completely missed it. I was like, I don't understand what happened here. But yes, John was going to punish them, and that was the punishment he chose. I guess I thought they and, were hiding to... from him in, in human form, somehow. No, he forced them. He did this to them. Oh. And to an extent, this is, this is a little bit... There's some titchy ethical things here mm-hmm. which we get to dance around with the you don't understand the culture right yeah. he essentially lobotomized them and yeah. robbed them of who they were but he's doing it to to an extent to force them into the humility that they would never have found 
without yeah. the punishment. Right. Like he for the pale Martians hate humans. They think mm-hmm. they're bugs beneath their heel. Well, guess what? You're going to live out the rest of your days as one. <laughs> Not only are you going to live out the rest of your days as one, you're going to live out the rest of your days as one who serves all of them. And he serves all of them by confronting the thing that we as a people fear the most mm-hmm. as a firefighter. Yeah. Um, you're going to be a human. You're going to work to save humans in the most mundane way possible while confronting our collective cultural greatest terror. <laughs> Only I can be the final arbiter. You do not understand the culture. Oh, my God. Well, that's fucking chef's kiss. And I'm really glad that we had this discussion because otherwise I would have missed it. I was just confused. You know, I wasn't sure exactly what was going on there. Um, but that absolutely That makes is sense. one of the it's places wonderful. where I feel like the... Mm-hmm. The Morrison exp- just like trusts the reader to be smart, which that sounds like I'm saying you're not smart. There's mm-hmm. a million things going on here. Yeah. But I mean, that's one of those places where could our hands have been held? Yes. Would it have landed like this moment when I said, oh, Lonnie, mm-hmm. here is the thing, you know, yeah. like it just. Yeah. And um, as an aside, uh, I don't know that Morrison was doing this on purpose, but there's actually a long running history tradition of Criminals being punished ironically, especially in DC Comics. Um, I dig it. Yeah. I, I want to point out to you that the Sandman has actually done this. Yeah. Uh, I, I, more than once. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's Neil Gaiman picking up on that as well that mm-hmm. the Sandman cosmically punishes people. Uh, by, you know, giving them what they want, only it sucks, you know, right. or something like that. <laughs> there was also, mm-hmm. there's a big character, I will not go too far down this road, but there's mm-hmm. a character called the Spectre, and that um, mm-hmm. eventually he was revealed to be God's Wrath. Uh-huh. And it was it was like the meeting of old EC horror comics and superheroes, because he would stop criminals and then punish them with some horrible, painful yet incredibly ironic punishment. So it's both a sort of an exclamation point on Jean's pathos, Uh but shows him to be this arbiter of justice. Like it does all of this really great stuff with Jean. And also I feel like fits into this grand tradition. I love it, you know, and I'm not even mad. I'm not even mad at Grant Morrison that I didn't get it. Like, I don't even care because of, because having you explain it to me it was really, really great. And anybody who read it along with us also got that. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's absolutely incredible. I love that that was the punishment. Did not get that. But again, that was where I may have fallen down in my job as a reader because Grant Morrison definitely is like, hey, I will carry one of these, you know, tubs of water, but you got to carry the other one. (laughs) I dig it. I dig it. (laughs) And as a reader, I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think I I joked in an episode or two ago about a lot of the superhero fiction that I get now, especially in movies and TV, comes, as I called it, Mm -hmm. pre-chewed. Yes. Mm -hmm. You're not, Morrison joints don't come pre-chewed. You have to, they're like a blue apron. You're going to have to do some of the cooking. (laughs) I love it. I absolutely love it. And I'm down for more. All right, so Joshua, here we are. We are winding up our first season of In the Gutter. And as we do with everything, we're going to talk about what's your favorite part? What is your favorite piece of art 
from this issue. I kind of mentioned that I love the length and breadth of the whole thing, mm-hmm. but I think that at the end of the day, my favorite piece of art has to be the Martian shape-shifting look mm-hmm. because it is just so unexpected and so not what we usually get from shape-shifting. Like, it just shows yeah. an unexpected level of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, not that there's no thought. Like, it's just on top of all this other stuff, right. here is this really unexpected piece. I really appreciate the unexpected in that way. What about yourself, Lonnie? Your favorite piece of art? Well, I have to say, like, I think as as weird as it was, I love the Superman logo in the bubble. Like, I didn't understand it. It didn't make sense to me. It looked totally weird. But there was something about the boldness of that choice. Like, the overall yes, boldness yes. of the choice that I was like, you know what? Respect. Respect. Absolutely. Now, tell me about your favorite part of the story. I think that's probably been telegraphed at this point. But please... Tell me, when it comes to the landing, what landed? (laughs) Well, it's the page of philosophy, but especially Superman to catch them if they fall. Um, And again, like I've never been a big Superman fan. I have always seen Superman as this kind of empty, all powerful, overpowered. We're not going to have the discussion about whether or not superheroes can be overpowered. But I've always felt that way about um, about Superman, just kind of boring, you know, but seeing this deep philosophical um, affection, you know, coming Mm, from mm -hmm. Superman. It is everything that I love all wrapped up now into this dude. And like, yes, I am still a Batman stan. Like, I'm absolutely going to be like, I am Batman (laughs) ride or die all the way because I like the gritty dark. Um, But Superman has just won my heart in that moment and won my heart, not by being strong, not by punching bad guys in the face, but by being super thoughtful about it. And it's just, I adore it. Same, and I'm not even sorry. I mean, um, it's everything you said. It's Mm -hmm. everything you said. But also, yeah, not the punching, but the why the punching. Mm -hmm. And just the affection that Superman has for humanity in contrast to the hyper clan who are like, they're bugs. What the hell are you doing? Yeah. Um, And my personal favorite moment, literally everyone in that panel is smiling, including Batman. Oh, smiling Batman. Oh, my God. (laughs) We don't get it that often, especially when he's uh, trying to keep his teammates slash co-workers at arm's length. (laughs) All right. That is it for this season of In the Gutter. We hope you enjoyed our all bangers all the time approach. And here is what you can look forward to next season. We will be back with all new episodes of In the Gutter in the new year with the continuation of both Brubaker's Captain America and Morrison's JLA storylines that we started here in this season, Mm -hmm. as well as... Just a little taste of my personal favorite superhero of all time, Patsy Walker Hellcat. (laughs) I'm very much looking forward to that. Did not necessarily get a real strong sense of, of, I think, her as a superhero from the Jessica Jones TV series, which is my only... No. My only connection with Patsy Walker. Uh, So I'm really, really looking forward to that. I'm excited to take you through that one, partly because I'd always been like kind of a low key fan of hers just because of the meta-ness. We'll talk more about it next season. There's all these reasons that I took note of her and really enjoyed her when she mm-hmm. showed up. But this is the series that made me a Hellcat stand. I love it. All right, everybody. We are going to be back in the new year. Until then, keep your mind in the gutter. Thanks for listening to In the Gutter with Joshua Unruh and Lonnie Diane Rich. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider talking about it with your friends, leaving a review somewhere, or supporting Chipperish Media, patreon.com slash chipperish.